Caloundra City Private School is an independent, non-denominational school located in Pelican Waters on the Sunshine Coast. The mantra for our school is every student matters. We aim for every child to be confident, resilient, organised, persistent and social in all aspects of their lives in and out of the classroom. This podcast series is designed to share valuable insights from academic leaders on current educational research and perspectives, as we all strive to help our young people reach their potential in today's ever-changing world. The importance of sleep to the growing teenage brain is valuable indeed. Research shows that the effects of poor sleep or sleep deprivation can affect behaviour, memory, learning and well-being. So how can children and teens best achieve good sleep? And what are some of the potential barriers to achieving quality restorative sleep? In this episode, I talk to Kelly Callaghan a clinical and educational and developmental psychologist working here in Caloundra. As a specialist psychologist, she has over 20 years of experience working with children and adults and is also trained in cognitive and learning assessment and diagnosis. Kelly recognises the stressors that come from a world of changing times and increasing work and family demands and the need for coping strategies for thinking, emotions and behaviour. Kelly, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you. I think it's fascinating as a teacher when I come to school sometimes and I see very tired students. And I wanted to talk to you today as an expert on sleep and the psychology behind sleep. So in relation to teens and and children, why do we need good sleep and what is the role of sleep in development? Well, apart from breathing and eating, sleep is the most important element for good health. So sleep has two main tasks. So firstly, to restore and repair the body. And secondly, to restore the mind and memory processes. And this takes place during the three stages of sleep, which involve light sleep, deep or non-REM sleep, and REM sleep. So each night we should cycle through the sleep stages about every 90 to 120 minutes. Deep sleep helps to restore and repair the body and build up energy. So it's very important for young children. It strengthens the immune system, repairs muscles and facilitates growth and development. As we get older, we don't need as much deep sleep, but it is harder to get into a deep sleep state. REM sleep on the other hand, or rapid eye movement sleep, involves dreaming, restoring the mind and improving cognitive efficiency and we need twice as much of REM sleep as deep sleep. It's during that phase that young people are more likely to dream, to talk or sleepwalk. But it's also during this stage that a part of the brain called the hippocampus processes all the information that we've taken in during the day and feeds it into long-term memory. So this process is called hippocampal discharge and it's very important for learning. Inadequate REM means that we're not going to process and retain the information that we've learned during the day. So if teens limit their sleep or they only sleep 
in the in the light sleep stages so they're slipping in and out because perhaps they're worrying about things or their mind is busy then they might get limited time in REM sleep and they wake up feeling like they're fatigued and they haven't slept and then that can create lots of problems with learning and behavior later I think that that's um, one of the most important points that I'll talk about later is this effect on learning and memory because as a mm. student you are taking in so much information so we'll, we're here today to explain to our listeners the link between sleep and memory in you you mentioned their teenagers and the growing teenage brain and the difference between the teenage brain and say the adult brain why is sleep so important to the growing teenage brain well the growing teenage brain is not fully developed so what we know about brain development now is that the brain isn't fully developed until the mid-twenties. So the teenage brain is what we call very plastic. So plasticity is very important in terms of how the brain grows, learning, making new synaptic connections, myelination of the brain and pruning of the brain. So there's a lot of pruning going on in an adolescent brain. So sleep is quite important to that. So younger children need slightly more sleep than the 12 to 18 year old child or teen who needs about nine hours a day. The hormonal changes in puberty mean that adolescents tend to go to bed later. So we call this sleep latency. And that's due to the fact that they're producing melatonin about two hours later than a young child or an adult. So it's quite frustrating for parents because the teen doesn't have the sleep pressure, the need to go to bed earlier. Teens are sleeping less than they did 20 years ago, even though sleep remains just as important to not just well-being but also mental health. Um, they might need a lot more sleep than they're actually getting. However, for many teens, social pressures, screen time, they conspire against getting good quality of sleep and that can result in accumulated sleep debt which needs to be cleared by them sleeping on weekends again much to the frustration of parents so a teen who's going to bed at 11 p.m. and getting up at 7 a.m. for school has incurred a sleep debt of one hour studies have shown that for every hour of lost sleep the teen is more likely to have lower mood poorer concentration poorer attention and is more vulnerable to alcohol use in an ideal world, when should teens be going to bed asleep? In an ideal world, it's, it's not so much about when they should be going to bed, but how much sleep they're going to get. Right. So if a teen has to get up at 7 a.m., then 11 p.m. is not the right time. So you said nine hours. Yes, yes nine yes. hours is the minimum. The sleep debt that you talked about affects mood and mm -hmm. mental health and we'll certainly we'll certainly get to those let's talk now about the effect of poor sleep on memory mm -hmm. and learning mm -hmm. uh, can yeah. you take us through that yeah so um, sleep has huge consequences for learning and memory and uh, as does sleep debt because sleep debt puts us into a state of being like in jet lag so it's harder for me to to function and to learn so during sleep, not only is um, memory being, being encoded, but brain development is occurring. So that dream stage that I talked about, which occurs in REM sleep, is when the function of the hippocampus and the hypothalamus, so two parts of, of the brain, 
start to regulate sleep, appetite and memory and, they, and the hippocampus will release a chemical called BDNF which in simple terms is the growth of new neurons associated with learning. So if I don't get into that stage as a teen then I'm starting to limit the growth of new neurons and the plasticity of my brain. So during that REM phase the hippocampus takes all of the information that I've learned during the day and it processes this and then discharges it to long-term memory and that takes part in REM so it's part of the explanation of dreaming. It's also here that the brain um, chemical of BDNF helps me to join new neurons together. So neurons are very important. Young, a teen brain is in the process of pruning a lot of neurons. So in the early phases of development in the early years of a child's life as well as early school, primary school, the brain has made more neurons than it's ever going to use in, in its life. So the task of adolescence is to actually start to prune and rewire and connect neurons so it makes the brain more efficient. When it first starts to do that the brain is not particularly good at pruning and it's a bit erratic and so we start to see those erratic behaviours that we um, often um, hear about with teens, risk-taking behaviours, not thinking. Um, you'll hear the young person and parent having an argument about something and the parent will say what were you thinking and the young person will say I don't know and that's partly to do with what's happening in in the mid prefrontal cortex or the frontal lobes of the brain that control executive functioning or my self-regulation and ability to um, think about what I'm going to do. So if I have a lack of good quality sleep then my brain's ability to connect information and retain learned information is compromised and my brain will just survive, it won't thrive. Research has found some pretty clear links between chronic sleep problems and reduced memory, reduced attention and reduced intelligence as well as impacts upon sport and coordination abilities. So sleep impacts on all aspects of life. There's also a strong link between chronic sleep problems and behavioural problems such as aggression. So while the research around chronic sleep problems doesn't apply to all teens, it certainly gives us an idea of what's happening in terms of learning and memory in the teen brain where there's sleep debt being incurred. Do you think that uh, the value of sleep and the importance of sleep is sometimes underestimated by teens? Yes, it's almost a badge of honour, isn't it? Um, especially if we're doing an assignment um, and they've been up all night to do their assignment. And that can lead to some other problems because we see teens using the energy drinks. So a V or a mother or taking a, a shot of coffee or two shots of coffee. And of course that again compromises the brain. So not only are they tired, but now they're wired and they can then start to have some behavioural problems or poor decision making. We'll get to the barriers to achieving good sleep and also how to get good sleep. We'll certainly get to those points later. But Kelly, let's just elaborate a little bit more on the effects of sleep deprivation on behaviour. Mm. What are some of those? Mm. So uh, the, the biggest problem is risk taking. So in uh, the frontal cortex, or we talk about that as executive functioning. So that's an area of the brain um, that helps us to think and plan and organize and reason. So
So if a teen has a sleep deficit, sometimes those uh, functions of having a sleep deficit can mimic things like ADHD or contact disorders. So they can actually look like they have a behavioural mm. problem, but in fact they might have a sleep deficit. Because of those major changes in the brain um, structure in terms of reorganisation, they're already vulnerable to some risk-taking and poor decision-making behaviours. So having that um, sleep deficit can actually then start to really impact, impact the prefrontal cortex and, and really reduce behaviour and good decisions. Well, let's get to uh, how to get a good night's sleep. First of all, let's identify some of the barriers that teens and children may face to achieving good sleep. What are some of those? Mm. Well, for the teen, one of the very first things would have to be stress. So teens who are under stress at school and they have a lot of assignments due or they're worried about exams, that can impact on their ability to calm their brain down at night and be ready for sleep. But many of the major causes of not being able to drop off to sleep actually happen before bedtime. So caffeine, nicotine, sugar, and food can all stimulate the brain and keep us awake at night. So teens need to be careful to limit those things to daytimes or avoid them if they can. Refined sugars are known to have an inverse effect on memory. So that means that the teen diet that's full of sugars and saturated fats can upregulate the brain and spike the, brain, the, the blood sugars, which can actually impact on both learning and memory and sleep. The other thing that seriously impacts on sleep is screen time. So if we have screens just before bed, they're likely to keep us awake. And not just because we've watched a scary movie or a heartbreaking story that's aroused our emotions, but because what many people don't realise is that the light in these devices, so particularly blue wavelengths, suppress melatonin. This is the hormone that encourages sleep. So teens already have a delay in the release of hormone, making them wanting to go to sleep later, so their melatonin doesn't kick in until later. But if I add to that screen time, which is suppressing melatonin, then I'm going to have bigger delay in being able to go to sleep. So we should advise our young people and our parents to never take screens into the bedroom. <laughs> At night time, if we can dock all of the screens and charge them outside of the bedroom, then we have a better chance of young people getting to sleep. But we can also encourage them to put the screens down earlier. And when you say earlier, that's what was coming to mind just then. So the, the nighttime routine, cutting out refined sugars, putting the screens down earlier, how many hours before going to sleep should the screen go down? Now that depends on the age of the child. So for younger children, those screens need to go down earlier. For teens, absolute minimum is 30 minutes. Right. Longer is better. But we need to really stop the screen time with the blue light earlier. So phones out of the room, iPads out of the room, turned off. Yes. At least 30 minutes before bedtime. That's right, yeah. We've identified that uh, sleep is crucial and critical to mental health, mood, learning. 
what are some of the other things that we can do to achieve good sleep? What are some of the strategies that we can put in place to help teens and children get that good sleep? Psychologists talk about sleep hygiene, but another way to think of this is sleep habits. So when we talk about sleep habits, we're talking about getting into a good sleep routine. So the bedroom is the place where it starts. So firstly, we need to reduce those stimulating nighttime activities, including the screens, movies and games, um, and the, you know, the caffeine drinks and the sugary drinks and, and so forth. All of those things need to be very much limited or reduced from the evening time. Bedrooms should be cool and quiet and restful places. Okay, so we don't want them to be stimulating. It's very hard for our brain to go to sleep when it's stimulated. So we need to dim those lights and encourage the brain to slow down. We also need to encourage teens to only use their bedrooms for sleep. A lot of teens have become very used to almost living in their bedrooms. Um, so parents may allow them to eat in there, to study in there, to watch um, YouTube or videos in there or DVDs. Um, but really we need to make, if we're going to sleep well, we need to have the bedroom as the place that's associated with sleep and with my brain calming down. So my brain learns the environment in it that it is in and what it should do in that environment. So if the environment of the bedroom is where I'm stressed out because I'm studying and I'm excited because I'm playing games, then my brain associates that space with that task. So by ensuring that it is a cool, quiet and dark place, that I only sleep in there or read a book in there, then um, I'm more likely to be able to relax my brain when I'm going to sleep. If they have um, trouble falling to sleep before bed, and they're tired in the morning. It's actually quite hard to bring our sleep stages forward earlier for teens. So we actually start at the other end and we say, we well, need to get up at the same time every day. And then that helps to build up the sleep pressure earlier in the night. And then we try to get them to go to bed at the same time each night. So building a good routine, we can bring our sleep time back earlier by moving in in about 15 minute increments. Mm but we must get up at the same time each day. Sunlight helps with that. So sunlight is one of the, the triggers for developing melatonin. One of the strategies that can help for getting teens up is making sure that their bedroom curtains or blinds are open early in the morning when the sunlight will come in and help them to make up, wake up more, more naturally. Often teens will need to use and learn some relaxation techniques of how I calm my brain down at night. Um, psychologists obviously work in those areas. There are also a number of websites and there are a number of apps that can be used on, on phones uh, that young people can listen to some relaxation strategies or they can listen to a mindfulness activity and that can help them to switch their brain off and calm down at night. Psychologists also work with something called cognitive behaviour therapy. So cognitive behaviour therapy is a way of teaching our brain to think in a different way. When people can't sleep, they often get very worried about that. Teens get worried about it. They worry that they won't be able to function the next day. They worry they won't be able to learn the next day because they're going to be feeling very tired. They worry that they're tossing and turning at night. So we talk to them about the fact that if we can get one good night's sleep in every four, it's enough for brain health.
it's not optimum, but we can survive on that. We talk about those negative thought patterns that might happen about sleep and that if we can talk to ourselves about calming our brain, remembering that laying in bed resting is almost as restorative as sleep, so it also has a function, um, that we don't need to be getting up and doing something else just because we can't go to sleep, that we can lay in bed and we can think about things that are good in our life, we can have some visualisation or, or imagery, we can talk to ourselves about being calm and not worrying about sleep because our body will be able to function. Are there any differences with uh, the sleep patterns and needs of children as opposed to teens? Yes, very much so. Uh, younger children need more. So we're looking at 10 to 12 hours for your primary school children. Babies need even more than that. So with babies, we're looking at about 18 hours. So remember, deep sleep is about growth and development. So when we're in those big growing phases, we need more of that sleep to help us. What can we do to help some of our primary students who might be struggling with sleep? So primary students tend to have um, some different troubles with sleep and that's to do with, again with brain development. So we talk about behavioural insomnia in primary school children. Um, so they might have trouble going to bed because of anxiety or worries about um, fears of the dark, fears of monsters, fears of bad dreams. All of those sorts of things play a part in that. Yes. They might want to be with mum or dad. So for them, it's, it can be a little bit different and our strategies for helping parents to establish their routines can be a bit different. Can you take us through some of what those strategies might be to help? Yes, so again, we talk about those positive bedroom associations. So that cool, quiet, dark place. Um, and we like them to have less screen time earlier. So with the primary school age child, we want to start that bedtime routine much earlier. So after dinner, we probably really don't want them on screens. We're going to do that before dinner time. And then we might have a period of play. We might then have a bath time, a story time, and a relaxation time, and then a sleep time. With our primary children, the issues that are most likely to come up are bedtime resistance. So I don't want to go to bed. Pretty common. Delays in getting to sleep, so they're laying there and they might be thinking about things, they might want to play, might be kicking their feet and their covers. Um, so they're restless and they're in and out of bed, they want a drink of water. Um, they just forgot to tell you something, I think that's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> it's often the time of night when they are thinking about what's going on in the day and then they suddenly want to tell mum or dad uh, something that's happened and so we really need to be careful to say that this is not time for that So if we need to talk about what happened in the day, we're going to try and talk about that at dinner time But when we go to bed, that's our time for letting our brain rest and being quiet One of the other things that's actually quite common that um, parents may not be aware of with primary children is sleep obstruction so the child who snores the child who has allergic reactions and so they're quite snuffly um, so the child who has enlarged tonsils or adenoids all of those breathing problems can cause problems in in children and behavior um, which need to be investigated by a doctor obviously 
um, sleep terrors is quite and nightmares are quite common in young children and part of that is again that REM sleep the dreaming phase um, and where is where those dreams will happen and sometimes dreams are not always good but one of the things I say to to children and to teens and to adults is all good dream all dreams are good dreams even a bad dream is a good dream because it means your brain is making new neurons so that's pretty important Kelly, let's uh, talk now about memory and the importance of having a good memory, memory recall and uh, having an effective memory for learning. How can students achieve a stronger memory? Well, the first thing I'm going to suggest is good sleep. <laughs> so lack of sleep is going to upregulate the brain's anxiety systems, which uh, for a teen facing exams is very difficult. So if when I am anxious and my anxiety systems are upregulated, actually it makes it much harder for me to remember things, to use my language systems. So there's, there's a very real connection in the brain between the blood flow that is released from my anxiety systems into my thinking systems. Now when I'm very anxious, that's reduced. So it's actually harder for me to remember things and so often we hear teens saying they're quite worried about exams and um, that whether they'll remember things and they have some performance anxiety. So good sleep will help us to downregulate or calm down the anxiety systems. But it's not just getting sleep, it's the quality of sleep that they get. So we want them to have nine hours of sleep a night as a minimum. We want them to ensure that they get that one night of really good sleep every four so that they clear their sleep debt and they can consolidate their memory. Healthy eating, we already know, enhances learning and memory. So those refined sugars and saturated fats actually don't help me with memory at all. Exercise is super important to memory. So it actually helps us consolidate memory as well. So when we've been doing a learning task for you know, an hour or so, we need to stop and do something physical to help our brain to process that information. If our teens or our young people are doing some regular exercise every day, then that also helps us to download the stress and anxiety that our brain might be experiencing because of work and school pressures. And it helps us to put that information into our long-term memory. The other thing that is very important is safe and secure relationships. So if teens are worried about friendships or family relationships, it actually makes learning a lot harder. And we know that when they feel connected to others, that they can learn better. So we want to en encourage those good, healthy social relationships, good he health and good eating, as well as good sleep and some exercise to help my brain to take all of that important information from the day and put it into my long-term memory. Let's talk about that generally now. Just finally, Kelly, you are an expert in your field and you, you are a psychologist to teens here in Caloundra. I wanted to talk now about, in your experience as a, as a professional, the current common psychological issues affecting teens today and the strategies to best support and deal with this. It's a huge area I know, but in your experience, mm. what are some of those issues you're seeing emerging right now? Our Australian data shows us that nearly half of all mental health problems start by the age of 14 years. We know that one in six young people 
will have an anxiety disorder that may need treatment or may not need treatment. Uh, we know that certain behaviours or family structures or um, the way children eat, as we've talked about, the way they sleep, can either protect us or make us more vulnerable to mental health issues. Um, one of the things that I, I very frequently talk to parents about is why do we have ratings on video games and movies? And we have ratings for a very good reason, and that is to protect the young brain. Young brains are very plastic, very moldable. We want them to be that because that enhances learning. But that plasticity also means that the things that they see and experience can get stuck in the brain. And that can create problems with mood and with anxiety. So we want to protect that brain. We want to protect it from drugs, alcohol, caffeine and sugar and tobacco. So we talk about the cats of the brain, caffeine, alcohol, tobacco and sugar. Mm. the things that can actually cause problems in the young brain. If we protect the brain from those things, that can help the child. If they have good social relationships and their family environment is a healthy and happy one, that also protects the brain. The other thing that we're seeing emerging is the impact of you know, video games and um, kids watching lots of YouTube and spending a lot of screen time is causing some impacts on um, learning and memory and, and especially in, in concentration. Social media, that's a whole new story and the impact on that can be quite devastating because social media is working on a part of the brain that's involved in reward, the reward systems. And, and young teen brains are highly motivated towards reward. They want reward systems. And when they don't get that in social media or they get negative comments, that actually reduces the reward systems of the brain. And then that impacts on mood. So we start to get feelings of depression and worthlessness and lack of self-esteem. And then, of course, that impacts on learning and behaviour and sets that young person up for some difficulties in life. It's such a complicated and um, involved area. Kelly, if parents listening have concerns about their child, when should a parent perhaps take their child to see a psychologist in your opinion? We talk about early intervention. Early intervention makes a big difference because we don't want the brain to hardwire itself in unhelpful ways. So our brain is constantly wiring and rewiring. Um, early intervention helps a young person to learn some skills I often talk to uh, teens and children about psychologists being like your sports coach. We give you some ideas on what you could do to help yourself. We give you some skills and that's what we want. We want young people to have coping skills so that their brain won't just survive, it will thrive. Yes, because uh, there's, it's quite common nowadays to see psychologists and uh, I think the stigma has been removed perhaps, do you think? I would hope so. Um, I often find when I talk to people about being a psychologist, they're quite interested in what we do. And um, certainly I know for myself, being a psychologist is, um, has been a lifelong passion, something I love doing, uh, to see young people or adults learn skills that make their life better is very rewarding. Well, Kelly, it's been fascinating today. And as a teacher, have learned a great deal. Thank you so much. My pleasure, thank you. 
And I hope you enjoyed this interview with Kelly Kelligan, clinical psychologist. If you'd like to know more about this topic or discuss any concerns you may have with Kelly, she works in Caloundra at Caloundra Psychological Services on 4th Avenue. Phone 54925588. This podcast was produced by Tracy Burton, featuring music by Paul Cusick. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.